0: Welcome to the Triple V podcast. Today we are joined by Stephen and George from the NFTFi team. NFTFi allows you to list your NFT as collateral and get loan offers from other users of their platform.
1: Awesome, great. Uh, thanks everyone for, for having me. Uh, so I think I'm going to assume that everybody here are pretty familiar with NFTs and we can skip the basics. Uh, so what did I give you just a quick uh, overview of Niftify? So we are a NFT collateralized lending protocol that is peer to peer. So the way that we work is that we allow borrowers to list assets that they own as collateral on our platform. Uh, lenders can then make them offers. Uh, and then uh, the, the borrowers can then pick from the best offers. And once they accept one of those offers, the asset gets moved into our smart contract to be held as escrow. The borrower amount is transferred from the lender to the borrower. And then the, the borrower then has the full loan period to repay. So uh, we don't keep track of market movement. You've, you've got the fixed loan period to repay. You either repay everything or you don't repay anything. Um, If you repay before the loan period is over, you get your asset back and the lender obviously gets their um, loan principal back plus interest. NiftyFi would take 5% cuts on the interest for the lender. The borrower doesn't pay anything. Uh, And then conversely, if the borrower doesn't repay on time, then the lender would um, take, they can foreclose the loan and take um, ownership of the asset. To give you an idea of uh, like traction so far, we went live in in June 2020 was our first public loan. Uh, The whole of 2020 we did three hundred thousand dollars in loans. In 2021 we did forty million, and so far this year we've done one hundred and fifty million. That which adds up to one hundred and eighty-eight million dollars in loans over ten thousand five hundred and fifty-two loans. So kind of been around the block. Um so so yeah so that's kind of the the overall picture i can uh, do a demo if anybody's interested in seeing it actually work uh, i would just need to be able to do a screen share uh, would that be possible
2: uh we would have to try <laughs> i can't promise but it it should be unlocked for you
1: okay let's let's give it a go let's try quickly and i'm just going to share this whole screen can everybody see that?
2: Yeah, it's loading. Yes, I can see it. Let me double check in awesome. in, our, in our chat if everyone is uh, able to see it. Okay, guys, could you just briefly put a yes or no in the chat? Yeah, it looks good. Looks good. Everyone is posting yes. Awesome. All
1: right. Thanks. Cool. Uh, by the way, at any point, feel free to to jump in and ask questions. Um, so I'm just going to give you a quick rundown. So this is our beta environment. So this is Rinkaby. So it's not live data. Uh, you'll see there's only a single asset listed in the in the um, beta environment at the moment to to get loans. This is how lenders would see them. What I'm gonna do now is I'm just gonna make sure I'm on the borrower account. So this is a lender account. So I'm just swapping my MetaMask to a borrower account and I'm gonna to go to the borrow tab. And then this will show me all of the assets that I've got uh, at the moment. Uh, and uh, I'm gonna use, you know, these are all fake ones, obviously they're not real, um, but I'm gonna use this one. This one has been approved in the beta environment for us. Uh, and so as a lender, I can come up here, I own this asset and then I can say, well, I'm looking for a wealth loan for, uh, say 0.5, um, over seven days. And I don't want to pay more than 25% APR. Um, or I could put in a fixed number. I can say, well, I don't want to pay more than 0.5 five, um, whatever that be. So that's 586%, that's a little bit too much. Um, so let's just go back down to 20% here. And then I can list this. So I'm saying I want to list this as collateral. I can confirm. Uh, why is that not, obviously in the demo, it's not gonna work. Um, borrower account. Uh, if this doesn't work it's, it might just be our dev, dev environment let's try one more time uh, with any amount so zero point so let's make it one Uh 14 day duration 20 percent apr there we go i just have to sign the transaction to log in there we go. Uh, so, so now I've listed this item. So if I go to the Lend tab, you can see it over here. So borrowers can now make offers on this asset. I'm gonna just switch over to a borrower account, I mean to a lender account quickly. I can click through here. Here I can see the desired terms, looking for one worth over 14 days, and then I can make an offer as a lender. Uh, I'm going to make, I've only got 0.4, so I'm just going to make an offer for 0.4 for 14 days at the 20% APR that the person was asking for. And again, I need to just sign to make sure that I'm the person who has uh, access to this wallet. Uh, So now if I go back to the... Borrower account, I'll get a notification up here showing that I've got a new offer. I can go click on that and you see there's a single offer. That's the one I just made for 0.4. I can accept that. This is now going to actually execute the transaction. Uh, And in this transaction, it's moving the wealth from the lender's account into my wallet and is moving the NFT from my wallet into the Niftify escrow contract. Uh, nobody's got access to that besides the smart contracts that, that manage the loans. The only way to get an asset out of that escrow contract is to either repay the loan or to foreclose on the loan after the loan period is over. So I'm just gonna hit yes. Confirm that transaction. Just waiting for a sec for the blockchain to execute here. Uh, and then we can go, and then we'll see the actual asset in the loan. Yeah, pretty neat. Yeah, it's pretty simple, self-explanatory. So we go, it's gone through now. Now you will see this page refresh. I'm just gonna refresh it quickly to make it go faster for us. You'll see um, the repay- we are now in escrow, and because I'm the borrower, I can at any point repay this loan. I'm just gonna sign out into the lender account just so you can see what it looks like from their point of view. They would just then see that this asset is in escrow. Once the, this counter has gone past 14 days, a button would appear here which would allow them to foreclose. Um, and they can also, as a lender, see a list of all of their active loans you'll see there. That's the currently active loan that we've got. If I click through to that, you'll see it over here. So now I'm going to switch back quickly to the borrower account. Now I can repay, so let's just repay this loan. So this would repay the full repayment amount um, to the lender. We would, the 5% of the interest would be taken off as a fee that would go to Niftify as a platform uh and the asset will get transferred out of the escrow wallet back into into this um uh, account so again we're just waiting for this transaction to execute uh maybe what we can do quickly for since we have a uh technical audience here you can see here uh, we transferred the erc 21 from the borrower account this is our escrow account this is the asset um, that we uh, transferred and then here what we're doing is we're minting a promissory note to the lender uh, and that promissory note represents the actual loan position so if the lender wants to sell that loan on to somebody else uh, they can do that and this is actually an nft itself Uh, so you will now see that this loan has been repaid so you'll see if I go um, back to my asset list, it'll be reappear over here in the asset list. Uh, and if you go to the lender account, you'll see in the in the lend loans tab, this loan has now been paid off. Um, and we can also just quickly go look at that repayment transaction. Uh, lender account oh sorry sorry i'm back on the lender account let's go back to the borrower uh and you'll see here is the payback loan we can look at that on the block explorer and basically what happens here is we transfer the wealth from the borrower to the lender take a very small fee for niftify on the interest paid we burn the promissory note so that promissory note doesn't exist anymore because that loan is finished and we transfer the asset out of the smart contract back into the um, the original borrower's uh, transaction, into their account. Sorry. And
2: all right, fantastic. Uh, I think <clears throat> one thing which which is super important to mention here, uh, because after the last AMA in uh, Neo-Tokyo, we got a couple of people who were very eager to try your platform and then one day well, what they didn't realize is that if we take out a loan on your nft the ownership of the nft gets transferred to your escrow account right so you cannot use the asset for I for example. Sorry.
1: Right. I'm back I'm back sorry oh
2: <laughs> no worries uh you want me to start again
1: yes please sorry yes. I lost okay. connection
2: there for a second oh, no worries um so after the last AMA in Neo Tokyo uh, people have been really eager to try your platform but what they didn't realize is that when using or when taking out a loan on your nft what you do is you transfer the ownership of that nft to the escrow account right so you cannot That's use true. the asset anymore to verify via a blend or similar interfaces yes
1: Yes, at the moment, that is true. Uh, So we are working on ways to allow you to use assets that are in um, escrow to be able to sign into discords and, you know, kind of use them as if you still own them. But uh, there's like quite a lot of work to do there. We've got uh, a flash claim uh, feature coming soon, which would allow you to claim airdrops where the airdrop is looking for asset ownership in the wallet um at the time of claim uh, but that doesn't work for things like snapshot based uh, uh, uh airdrops because they obviously take a snapshot when the asset is being owned uh, potentially by the actual smart contract
2: all right uh we had an interesting article linked here um I'm not sure if it applies to nftfi but someone just mentioned uh, I saw an article about the Singaporean court blocking the transfer of a board aid. It was used as collateral. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I mean, obviously, we don't comment
1: on those things until there's a actual uh, like final conclusion. Uh, but I think the borrower in that case's um, his case to the court was that he had a verbal agreement with the lender um, that soup that was for what would happen after the loan had to foreclose. So that nothing to do with actual smart contract, but it has to do with, um, you know, like whatever agreement they made between each other, which we we aren't party to. So we don't understand. So, you know, we can't really comment on that side.
2: All right, fantastic. Um, one moment. Just have to uh, saw some technical things here on the back end. Okay. And we have a, a pretty big uh, German audience, by the way. So, you know, just uh, for some context here, George is from Germany as well, um, for all our German fans. <laughs> hallo, hallo. You can also speak German. Yeah. However, the rest of the 90% will <laughs> fall <backfallen, yeah. laughs> Exactly. Okay, let me just, I think we we've, I forgot to invite Jonathan. Um, that's your CEO, if I remember correctly.
1: Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm CEO and uh, Jonathan is one of the co-founders.
2: Oh, apologies, apologies. Okay, I just sent him the invite. Um, and uh, I will keep an eye out once he has joined. And then I will grant him the AMA permissions as well. Uh, but just for everyone who is attending, um, you guys are able to use push to talk and then freely ask any questions. So this is a completely interactive uh, AMA. You guys don't need to ask for perm- permissions to speak. Uh, if you want to say something, uh, just unmute yourselves, use push to talk and uh, keep going. Um, and if you're shy, obviously, you, know, you can drop the questions in the general chat and we will take care of them. Uh, so one thing which was interesting for me uh, to ask you is uh, how did the oncoming bear market influence your trading volume? Did you see like an uprise or a downfall or you know a change of the the loan sizes or some hmm. other changes in the in the lender and borrower behavior
1: yeah we've seen quite a few things actually so uh, by loan count we're still on track to this probably being the um, uh, top month for us so far uh, and also by number of unique borrowers and lenders uh, so more people did more loans this month but the total volume is down because uh, the average price of a loan has gone down from almost $20,000 to kind of under $17,000. And that kind of, you know, bearing in mind that the first half of that month was before we had the big implosion. So up until that happened, it was kind of on track to be similar size, like 20 million on the average. So we're definitely seeing a a drop in the, the value of the loans. And we're also seeing an uptick in um, APRs. So that was kind of on a very strong downtrend um, over the last six months, uh, kind of at 50% um, APR last month. And now this month has jumped up to 60% APR, obviously, because there's more risk in the market at the moment.
2: Did you also see more foreclosures of loans?
1: Yes, yes. In general, we see foreclosures and defaults happen pretty much whenever the market implodes. So we don't really see like a steady stream of ongoing um, defaults. So, you know, people aren't not repaying because they don't have the money available. They're, repay- they're not repaying because actually the asset is worth less than the loan. So we kind of see all of the, the defaults to, to happen kind of just after an adverse market event. So either NFT prices dropping a lot Uh, or uh, potentially uh, what happened in previous occasions is that the Ethereum price would run up very, very quickly and the NFT prices wouldn't quite keep track with with the price of the NFT, um, of Ethereum going up. So we'd have defaults in those situations too.
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, the last time you elaborated a little bit on the the different strategies for which you can use NFT for, right? Because, Mm -hmm. you, you know, in theory, and obviously, this is high risk. Um, these are high risk areas where you have to be really smart to use it properly. But you can use NFTFI to short NFTs. Yes, or, yes, or exactly. you
1: can think of it as you can think almost think of it alone as a put option, right? You, you, you're buying the right to sell that asset at the loan principal at any point during the loan um period right Uh, so you can use these loans as a put option to hedge downside
2: risk okay let me read a couple of questions before we get going uh, with the things which i've written up um so someone's asking wondering the borrowing amount is not full value of the nft would foreclosure still transfer whole nft to lender
1: yes uh at the moment it does uh because if you think about it the lender is taking on risk of this asset going to zero in you know in between so um so they would most of the time so so one thing to to bear in mind with our foreclosures is we don't ever automatically trigger a foreclosure. So it doesn't matter what the market is doing. It's always up to the borrower to decide to repay the loan. So you always have that choice. But if you can't repay the loan on time, you you do forfeit the asset. We are looking at ways to see if it's possible to auction the assets that are currently in loans, uh, but that would probably only come later in the year.
2: Thank you. Uh, next question is, has the protocol contract ever been hacked or compromised? Never been hacked or compromised.
1: Um, and like I said, we've done 10,500 loans. The uh, the biggest loan on a single asset was $1.4 million in Autoglyph. We've done a $8 million loan on a set of 104 CryptoPunks. Uh, but oh. yes, no compromises yet. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, there's um, some, some serious uh, loan activity happening, um, you know, so I really kind of think this is a, a core part of the infrastructure um, for the market going forward. Um, and I, I know you answered already
0: in relation to, you know, the, the market downtrend recently. Did you see within, you know, the, a day or so of the UST uh, disaster, did you see an uptick of the amount of loans being taken or being closed? Like, around that general period, or
1: was it more what kind of like a steady… Seeing... What we've seen a lot of is people repaying loans, and I suspect what's happening is those people had, like, cash, you know, US, USD available, and, and now all of a sudden their ETH-denominated loans are much cheaper to repay in, in dollar terms. So we've okay. seen a lot of people repay loans early because it's actually cheaper for them. Uh, and then what we did see is a huge run up in volume just before the other deed sale. So we kind of see that whenever there's a big drop happening or a big new event, you know, people leverage up to be able to take part of the, on, in the actual drop, uh, um, and then, and then right around the, the whole implosion, like people tended to like, there was not a lot of activity. I think people were just like watching to see what would happen. Um, and then we saw, like, an uptick again after that. And then, you know, loan number of loans are, are kind of still healthy, but then the average loan size has definitely come down afterwards. Obviously, it's because the assets are worth less. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's super intriguing,
0: honestly. I'm just curious if you guys have a um, public uh, – gosh, literally the word just slipped my mind um, – a dashboard i can put in a dashboard a, a... yeah of all, of all the kind of transactions going on just kind of see how the the market's going in regards to nftfi and how other you know events in within the blockchain can then be understood based on uh, interactions going on on NFTFI.
1: yeah yeah so i just posted a, a link to dune dashboard in the general chat so you can check it out Perfect. um but yeah you can see. That's incredible. I think the most interesting thing for me is APR. You can just see it, kind of, you know, as we're getting more and more competition for more lenders competing for business. The APR is just like trending down, you know. So in the last six yeah. months, the average went down from a hundred percent to fifty percent, and then just this month, because all of a sudden the markets are much more uncertain, the APR went up. so It's gone back up to sixty percent, and that's it. Really, is it's an expression of how confident lenders are that these assets that lending on right now are going to ra- maintain value. And we also see a very different spread between different projects, you know. So things like CryptoPunks, you're getting like a 10% APR for for less common, and you know, or less blue chip assets. You're seeing a much higher APR kind of in the 50 yeah. to 100% um, range. No, this is beautiful.
0: I mean, I, I, I'm a physicist, so I just love data and just I'm going to absolutely... Just lose my evening, just scanning through all this all night. So thanks for that. <laughs> awesome.
2: Hey guys, uh, thank you for taking the time. <laughs> um, my question would be, why is your landing borrowing model better than, uh, let's say, having a model with a Eve pool that essentially mm. takes the um, search for a lender away?
1: yep uh, So, so first of all. If you've got a high value asset, which is basically the only things you can use in those pooled ones, you would likely get, you know, five to 10 offers within five minutes of listing that. We've got lots of bots and pretty sophisticated lenders who are, you know, you would pretty much instantly get an offer. So, uh, so, you know, so it's not that much slower uh, in the peer to peer context. Uh, But there are a few like just fundamental differences between like those pooled models and ours. So first of all, with um, Niftify, you get a fixed interest rate. So interest rate doesn't change at all during the the course of a loan. With those peer-to-pool models, the interest rate is fluctuating all the time depending on different market conditions, right? So with Bendow, you know, if they're running out of Ether, then the cost of borrowing goes up. Because they're trying to encourage people to to repay so you have to deal with the floating interest rate there so that's the one thing that's very different second thing that's very different is they've got oracles which keep track of the prices Uh, and if you if the market prices tank they would automatically uh like trigger a liquidation right so so you You might be liquidated because of external market events on one of those protocols with us, you would never get liquidated because the, the loan um, agreement is for a fixed period for a fixed interest rate and we don't keep track of prices. So you always know that you've got the agreed upon loan period to repay. So that's another fundamental difference. Um, The, the, other big big difference is all of those pool based uh, protocols will only give you 30% LTV on the floor assets of um the floor price of the assets that, that that they're accepting. With Niftify, you get as much uh you get up to you know, 50 sometimes more percent LTV on the value of that specific asset so if you've got a, a non-floor asset you can get you can unlock way more capital with us than you could with any of the other protocols
2: great thank you sure all right so we have a short and easy question um what happens to airdrops while the nft is loaned out so if it's, uh, so like I said, we, we, uh, have
1: flash claiming f- functionality that we just need to enable on the front end, but that would allow you to claim any claim that's based on ownership of the asset at time of claim, which seems to be kind of the more common, uh, pattern uh, nowadays. So, so that would work for flash claims for, for claims or for airdrops based on a snapshot. If the snapshot was taken while the asset was in um, escrow, then really, like, there's not much we can do about that. Now, what we are seeing though is that uh, projects are starting to acknowledge the fact that uh, you know these assets are being used for for um, collateral in loans, and they are providing ways for people to uh, to be able to. Uh, uh, basically reassign the claim for assets that were under um, uh, were in locked in a smart contract during the time of the snapshot
2: okay the next question would be are you audited and if so by who
1: yeah we've been audited by both chain security and halborn uh, and any new changes we make get audited before we take them live
2: and I think a really interesting question <laughs> was by someone asking, uh, if you default frequently, are there any restrictions that get put on you, or can you just you know keep doing that? Yeah, there's no
1: restrictions on um, on anybody, but we do keep track of your default rate, right? So, uh, and and part of this is because there are people who. Act as lenders who prefer people who default because actually what they're hoping for is the default because they're trying to buy the asset. Uh, so, but then there's other lenders who are you know they're just looking for the return on the actual interest that they earn. So, so they're not that interested in people with um, a high default rate. So. You know, so we do make that information available, but we don't automatically penalize anybody for that. It's just that different lenders will be more or less attracted to being uh, making them offers. Uh,
2: so is the, is the data also available for me as a lender, for example, to, to you know, go through the uh, potential borrowers for me to pick one who doesn't default frequently? Uh, we don't have an easy way to filter them, but
1: on every asset we show owner information and we show the default rates of that owner um, when you look at the actual asset.
2: All right, so people have been curious uh, about the NFTFI token utility. Would you mind um, mm. elaborating on that? Well, so the token
1: isn't live yet, uh, so... We will give way more information on that once we, we kind of make those infom- like that information public. Uh, so, but it touched me. I think it's
2: something that everyone will like. And do you mind if you, you know go over a couple of questions from an investor's perspective uh, on yeah. for NFTFi? Um, yeah. So, sure. So, uh, you know, obviously, I regularly get your uh, investor newsletter on a monthly basis, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And to me, one thing which has stood out is that compared to other platforms, you guys are really charging a a comparably low fee for using your service. So how do you guys, uh, maybe you can, uh, you know, first of all, explain the business model per se, and maybe go over a couple of rough numbers, but just generally speaking, how do you guys see um scaling up or i don't know if if that's your intention obviously but do you guys intend to scale up the revenues and how does your business model look over the course of the next uh, couple of years
1: yeah yeah so so i think part of the reason that we you know this is crypto and you know we like all of our smart contract code is basically available on etherscan so you know so really for us in the beginning you know, we don't want to make um, fees the reason why people don't use us. You know, we think it's much more important to kind of build a kind of foundation as being the, like kind of the go-to place to be able to do the, this kind of thing in, in the Ethereum ecosystem. Uh, and you know, over time, once the token goes live, you know, the the actual DAO will have the capability to be able to vote on what the fee should be. Uh, But on top of that, I think that there's lots of other services we could kind of add on to to be able to extract more fees, you know, before being able to provide more value. Um, We've got some ideas around like like our own NFTs and how that would play into the actual ecosystem. So, yeah, so really for us, like I don't think, you know, so I think our take rate at the moment in volume is something like 0.21%. I think... In the long run probably something between one or two percent is probably reasonable for a protocol um, but you know at the moment we're not offsetting transaction costs with like you know just dropping people tokens uh so in, instead of doing that what we're just making sure is that we we're like very low on the fees uh, and that uh you know we're kind of building a you know good um like network effects so that we can over time kind of settle on a rate that actually makes more sense both for sustainability of the of the protocol but also in terms of what's fair for um you know
2: borrowers and if you compare nftfi to your competitors on the market why would someone bet on you instead of some of the other protocols that are out there
1: yeah, so so I think partly it's, you know, we've been around since the start, right? So we've kind of been, you know, there from the beginning. So, you know, we've kind of proven ourselves and we, like I said, we've done 10,000 loans. We haven't had an issue. I do think that the peer-to-peer model is superior to the the kind of peer-to-pool or peer-to-contract model, mainly because... When you do those peer to pool models, you're picking a specific strategy and you and and um, uh, as a lender, you know, so how to decide how much to loan and for, for which assets. Whereas what we provide is multiple lenders, the capability to compete to give the best loan to borrowers. I'll give you an example. Uh, so SquiggleDAO, they believe, so, so they, they want to own all the Squiggles. So they don't mind getting defaults. And they also believe that like squiggles being good collateral is good for the price of the asset over the long run. So they will give you, um, you know, low um, APR loans at 70% LTV because they don't mind getting defaults. Uh, So... I, you know, you just couldn't get an offer like that uh, in those other models because it doesn't make sense unless you've got some kind of other reason to to express the strategy that's outside of the actual protocol. Uh, so, so I think over the long run, you know, it, it, you'll get better, more sustainable rates over the long run uh, by like making different lenders compete. And then, secondly, I think. The fact that all of our loan agreements are actually represented as NFTs makes it much more composable for us, you know, to, to have these Lego blocks to, to build more sophisticated products on top of. So MetaStreet, for example, is building like an interest rate swap market on top of um, us taking our promissory notes um, as the, the NFTs that they trade. Uh, and then there's derivative products being built on top of them. And I think those kinds of things are much more difficult to do in these peer to pool and peer two contract uh, style um, uh, projects.
2: All right, thank you uh so we have <laughs> someone who's still inquiring about the utility of the token, and you know please don't feel pressured by me you know asking again, I know there's you know some legal restrictions of what you can talk about, but is there anything you can you know at least hint regarding the token?
1: Yeah, well, look, so, so I see the question here, um, but, you know, so uh, basically saying what would love to hear more about, then trust us about utility before we make an investment and, and you will have that information before it's capable to make an investment, right? So uh, so that's definitely coming. There's no way to buy tokens right now, um, but before it's possible to, to get your hands on tokens, we would have a, like a very clear plan on what those actual tokens are worth and what they're doing.
2: All right, fantastic, um, and, you know, because we are, you know, obviously we are driven by the uh, venture capital uh, spirit, so do you mind, you know, and, you know, please tell me if, if that, that goes over, you know, some sort of a line, but can you talk about some of the relationships you have with your other VCs, you know, some of the experience you maybe had with taking on investments and, you know, how that affected your business model or overall? Uh, sense of yeah, doing business sure. yeah so um
1: yeah so so we started raising in like june july in 2020 and that was still kind of when i had to explain to people what nfts were right so you um i think punks were one and a half ether at the time and ether was 300 dollars or something like that um, <laughs> yeah. so, so, we're still crazy that, you know, like uh, every month I was just like shocked by the, the prices that these things are getting and the to- total trade volumes. Um, so, so, in the beginning, our so one of my filter criteria in the beginning was if I had to explain to the VC what NFTs were they were probably not the right VCs, right? So, and back then there was really like five or six, you know, it was 1KX and CoinFund and a couple of other people and Andrew Steinwald, but he hadn't raised his fund yet. Uh, But there were very few people who really kind of got the the NFT thing. So our first round was um, 1KX and CoinFund were the biggest checks in there. And then we also had Animoca and Andrew Steinwald as an angel. uh uh rome from dapper labs as an angel so it was really kind of the one or two funds that already got it uh and also the like a few kind of angels who are already kind of deep into the space so, so that was the first round. Uh, and then obviously everything started going nuts and I just started getting emails left, right and center from you know, lots of people trying to kind of get into the NFT space who've you know, uh, kind of missed the boat, I guess, in a little way. Um, so then our second round was really focused around getting really good partnerships into verticals that I think are gonna be big coming up. So, you know, so that included people like Sound Ventures because they've got like really good contracts, um, contacts in the kind of music and media um, space. Uh, we are, we had some, some of our other investors are really big in the real estate on the field. Uh, we got some like gaming investors. Uh, so, it so really was about like being strategic around that. Uh, and then... Yeah, and then I guess the other thing that was interesting, at least for, for me in terms of raising this is, you know, like I did all of the fundraising via Zoom from Cape Town during lockdown in COVID. So never met any one of my investors. It was only rem- like fully remote. Um, so, yeah, so it was just a, it was a very, you know, 10 years ago, I couldn't have started a Web2 startup um, given the context I was in. You know, I wasn't in, in America. I was in, in, in Cape Town. Uh, we couldn't travel yeah it was a yeah it was a cool experience actually
2: and what do you or what did you look for uh, in your investors you know especially you know initially obviously when there's when you're struggling for money you know obviously you're looking for money right but at some point yes. in time you want more than just that so how could how could someone qualify as a viable investor to you
1: yeah so for, for us there were a few, it changed i think over time so like i said the first round was really it was i didn't want to convince investors that nfts were going to be huge i wanted somebody who already got that um so that was kind of the the the, the filter criteria for me in the in the first round and we were lucky enough to get you know really good funds like 1kx and coin fund on board uh, and then like having some really good angels also made it much easier for us in the second round um in the second round, what I was really looking for is like, so we had, for example, we we one of our investors, Bootnode, they're actually a, a sw- software dev company and they bought their allocation by building stuff for us, which I thought was, it was probably one of the most valuable allocations that we've given because they could actually get their hands dirty and build things for us. Uh, 1KX was really good because they're really good at building, like community and grassroots networks around different protocols so they were instrumental in setting up goblin sacks, which is you know like providing liquidity on our, on top of us and building products on top of us uh so so they were really really useful in, in, in that sense then I, th- I think angels were actually very key for us to so finding like you know really good angels who you who knew the space and can could like move things forward for us like that was really useful um and then yeah and then identifying verticals that i think are going to be growth areas for us and, and getting really good um vcs in that space to kind of be able to open doors for us that we wouldn't be able to get to otherwise
2: all right fantastic thank you it's, it's really interesting to get those insights because many times you, know, you see uh, names like Animoca attached to uh, certain projects, but it's, it's not really clear how they get those investments right, apart from you know, them obviously having a, a leverage with their uh, brand recognition. But just generally speaking, yes. you know, the, the question always is, how can you actually build up rapport with a project and make sure that you don't just provide them with liquidity, but actually provide them with value. Beyond just money.
1: Yes, exactly. And but and the thing it's it's you know it's quite h- so you it's hard to determine that upfront. Like what I would do is you know if you're taking money, speak to a few portfolio companies um, of the investor and try to get to portfolio companies like actually ideally where things didn't go quite so well because uh, then you really kind of know how things um, like panned out. And the other thing that we did, which was actually quite, I guess it can be a double edged sword, but we actually had a lot of funds put in relatively small checks, which meant that like, at least some of them were were really, really useful, um, as opposed to like having, you know, like everything coming from one fund and then the relationship isn't great and then... You, you kind of stuck with them Um, yeah
2: i mean i've heard some horror stories of you know funds um extorting their own investments because they had so much leverage with you know the token allocation which they which they bought that they could pretty much you know dictate to a big degree the the value on the open market
1: yes exactly and you know and 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 you one of the things that's just like true about you know, the the regulatory ra- landscape we are in right now is that it, it is quite risky um, if you to, if you just go fully decentralized straight away, right? So so you can sometimes you just to pay for the lawyers to do a token generation event like while in a way that doesn't give liability to DAO members that doesn't like push liability onto the family, it's just really expensive you kind of have to take money from vcs to kind of get you across that line um, but at the same time you don't want that to be sent like too concentrated where you know 15 percent of the network is owned by a single individual so if you take like smaller checks from more vcs uh, then you can um you, you at least like the vc portion of the token allocation is also spread between more people instead of just one person
2: yeah did you feel like in some cases that might have reduced the motivation they had to help you or you know was it it something which was not the main driver for them
1: yeah i would say that that's uh, i think that is something that you need to balance right because at some point the check is just not worth it for them uh so so you know so one of the things that also is like Worked out quite well for us. Kind of almost as a side effect is to to give angel tickets to like members of uh, of DAOs uh, because you can get a lot. Like, you don't have to give up as much, uh, and you get a lot of the same benefits. Uh, and then, but yes, you do need to at some point. You know, you need to, it needs to be meaningful enough for them to be able to kind of like put some resources behind you. Um, I think partly we got lucky there just because you know our first round the valuations hadn't gone insane yet for um for these projects so our first round investors actually like had a pretty good deal by the time we got to the second round so even though they didn't put in massive checks in the beginning it was worth quite a lot um you know in the in the like subsequent rounds so but I do think if you're gonna do like a series A or series B like a big one, you probably want to in that scenario want to have like a big fund with a meaningful enough check to to make sure that they actually give you the resources that you want
2: yes, yeah, I agree there's you know obviously from from our side, I always agree because you know if you think something is a worthwhile investment, you know obviously you want to get as much as possible, right. Uh, and yeah. we want to come up. That's a very for,
1: important question. Uh, Whenever you speak to VCs, I always ask like, how much would you, do you normally like to own of a project? What percentage? And like, what is a meaningful check size to you? Um, you know, cause that's different for every VC. So you have to, um, kind of like calibrate that, but you know, are they the right people for you at this stage?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so we will have to jump back into a couple of the, um, questions around using a platform uh, there was one which came up a little bit earlier um, will nftfi have measures to pres- preserve the authenticity of user data metrics such as default rate and having uh, usernames independent so uh, so that if people use multiple wallets it makes it harder to mask their behavior uh, defaults etc by making new wallets if a username is used
1: Yes. Uh, so at the moment we don't uh, have anything that like, kind of keeps track of different wallets. Uh, you know, that's probably something we will need to add uh, in the future as things get more sophisticated. Um and then to you know, all of the data relating to loans is available on chain, right? So you know, anybody can write uh independent uh, a Dune dashboard to make sure everything is okay. Uh, and, and legit there. Uh, we do, you know, the, the data that we show on the front end, we kind of have a cache uh, in a, like a local database that we run just to make the experience faster. So we don't have to kind of do these complicated queries over the blockchain every single time. Um, so, but then we've got batch jobs that kind of periodically resync that with uh, the full blockchain state. So that, you know, you can't um, like, uh, manipulate those numbers in any way.
2: All right. Thank you. Um, someone was asking about um, a com- potential competitor. So uh, he's asking, what are their thoughts on AVE exploring NFT lending borrowing? They will probably be, be P2C, but have way more trust.
1: Yeah, so so I don't think like trust is really the, the th- thing that makes p2c things not work like i think part of it is um the fact that all the defaults all happen at the same time uh and to be able to uh to give like lps who provide the liquidity a good enough um return compared to kind of much lower risk DeFi um like strategies you have to like have a, lo- a large percentage of your capital um, active at all time, right? So, so say for example, you're getting a 20% APR and you've only got a 50% uh, capital efficiency. It means LPs are really only getting 10% and then the protocol also needs to take a like a cut from that. So obviously in the beginning, you can, you can offset that by just basically paying out your tokens. Uh, but at some point that becomes unsubsta- unsustainable. Uh, and then, and I think that there's also just, it's just fundamentally different. It's really hard for those peer to contract um, protocols to give you a fixed interest rate. Uh, you know, they tend to be variable interest rates. So, you know, so I think in some scenarios, people just prefer fixed interest rates. Uh, the other thing that they have is that, you know, if, a mar- if the market crashes, everybody gets liquidated. You know, myself as a collector, I wouldn't feel super. You know, if i had an alien crypto punk do would i want to um like get d- like a default be forced liquidated because the market Im- imploded right um you know i'm probably holding that for the long run so i would probably want to ride out that down that down cycle and wait you know for, for the long run uh, so i think that's just fundamentally different there uh, and then also i just think it's easier to compose and build other products on top of us. So in the long run, I think you'll have more options in the peer-to-peer um, con- uh, peer uh, peer style models. But yeah, so, so that's kind of where I see it. For me, really, I don't think too much about peer-to-pool, peer-to-contract, peer-to-peer. What I try to think about is what, like, what do people, what do borrowers want? Like what is the end user experience that they want to have? You know, and you know, is waiting five minutes to get offers g- good enough, or is instant offers really kind of that um, uh, beneficial? And then, you know, do you need to do peer to pool to be able to do um, instant offers? And and you know, I, my theory is that you don't. So, uh, so, so I I try to think about more as as what do users want, as opposed to which design philosophy you know, like I'm hanging my hat on.
2: And I think that's a <clears throat> very important point because you can really tell by just listening to you that your incentive of building an FTFI is centered around making it something that's usable and enjoyable by your end consumer, right? You're not building it in order for you to feed off the biggest amount of fees um, or for you to have a model that just leverages one thing in order for you to get ahead in the market. I think you're balancing the usability with what the uh, end consumer wants. And, you know, giving your adoption in the market, being the market leader, I think you're doing it right thank you yeah i mean so for me it really is around like
1: if you build a useful product and then don't rip people off and you kind of keep providing good service you're going to like do well over the long run right so um, and then you know like all of these schemes of like attracting people by paying out tokens like you know i was in the exchange game like 2017 2018 and we saw that all like, you know, all the time, you know, every two weeks, there would be a new exchange that was the most like, highest volume in the world. Uh, and then they ran out of token incentives and then just disappeared and nobody ever used them again. And people were just like farming that money out of them. You know, so that's one of the things that we really focus around, you know, in designing our token economy and why we haven't like rushed it out is, you know, we really want to make sure that we're in this for the long run. We believe that this is kind of a core part of what the internet is going to be. And NFTs really bring digital property rights uh, in the same way that the cryptocurrencies brought digital money. Uh, so uh, so for us, it's a long-term vision. And we really think if we do things that are good for the, eco- the ecosystem as a whole, the protocol will survive and do well.
2: I agree fully. Definitely, the the right answer and the right approach. Um, so, people have been really liking uh, your your responses about around DVC questions. Do you mind if we shift again back to the topic, or um, do you feel like we have to? There's still some things we we should cover for NFTFI as a platform.
1: Well, I mean, this is really to to kind of uh, make sure you guys get the answers that you need. So, happy to jump into whatever you guys want.
2: Okay. Amazing. Yeah. So and the, the reasoning is in, you know, we have a lot of Neo-Tokyo citizens uh, listening to this and many of those are building their own projects as well. And they are also mm. in the capital raising mode, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So any guidance you can provide them in maybe how to, um, how to be attractive to an investor. And then maybe also, you know, since the question about the utility came up, you know, how do you answer that question to an a, you know, potentially a big investor when the utility isn't crisp clear yet. Mm. <clears throat> yes. Uh, okay. So. Uh,
1: so the first part of that is how do you make yourself attractive to an investor? And <laughs> unfortunately, the answer is have traction in a growing market, <laughs> like. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, like there's so much that I could say that we did right or that we did wrong, but I could, like, really think if you, if you got traction, your product is growing, people like you and the market is growing, then people will like just find you to throw money at you. Right. Um, so, so I would really focus around that building a product that people love and getting traction and then people will find you. Now that's you know that's obviously like easy to say. We kind of like stumbled onto like product market fit in the first in our first version, but typically it takes a little bit of time for you to 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 find that. You're gonna have to um, kind of find your way into kind of getting a little bit of traction and like getting organic growth and you know getting some good retention. Uh, but once you do, then it's kind of That is relatively easy and then you start playing a bit of a game around do you want the maximum amount of capital or do you want the best possible vcs so the higher you squeeze your valuation to get the most money the the better vcs are going to drop out of that equation then because they know that they bring value besides just um the cash so so i would just think about that like very carefully like you know is it at some point obviously you, you're kind of giving stuff away for less than you should um but you but yeah I, I do think it's it's more important to get really good investors in than it is to get the maximum amount of capital um you know in, in the early stages because the other thing that you do is like the, the better your v, your investors are from round one The easier it is to get like even better investors in round two right um it just they open doors for you
2: so how important do you think are the getting in the brand name of an investor so to speak you know even if they might be sitting idle as an investor themselves just having the association with them do you think that's something that's important or is it really more about them actively opening up their rolodexes Uh, it definitely helps um it,
1: it definitely helps to have like a top-tier investor um on uh on the cap table uh but you can also get away with like having really good angels you know so for us having Roam uh, as an angel that really helped us open a bunch of doors uh, and he make some really good intros to us uh for us uh, so so I do think you need to get intros. That makes a big difference. Um, uh, and and typically, even you know, even if you're like a smallish check, it's not a lot of work for VCs to give you intros. You know, so that's normally relatively easy to do um, to get. You know, it's more around you know, do they actually help you on a day to day? You know, like in terms of strategy and execution. Uh, that's kind of where you know the, the great VCs really stand out
2: and to, to touch back on the uh and maybe to give you a, a little bit of a nuance before i rephrase the question around you know talking utility um the thing as an investor in the crypto space which i think a lot of people have to still realize is that many times as an investor you make decisions which are uh pressured by an approaching deadline and you have to make that decision with a limited amount of information. So you will never have all the information you want for each of the investments you will make. And obviously, you want to yeah. have as much information as possible. But the earlier you are with your investments, you know, the less information there actually is because these guys are still building, right? So mm-hmm. even, and then even if that, even if there is information, what you know, whatever information there currently is or whatever plans they might have even if they have the tokenomics worked out, this might still change going forward. So, you know, regardless of having the info or not having it, you know, it's really, at least from my perspective, the most important aspect is judging whether or not the founder or CEO are capable of executing the vision and actually bringing it to market in a way that's catering to those eventually using the product. And, you know, that ties back to the question around the utility of the token you know if you make the bet on the founder then you also are betting on his um his skill set or you know his expertise in finding a utility that's beneficial to the project itself Uh, but i would be curious to, to get your point of view on this
1: yeah so i agree with you 100 so so there's actually um uh, like uh, Mark and has this this notion where they talk about the idea maze, uh, and you know like what they're looking for is founders that are good at running through the idea maze, right? And that's kind of what you're saying. It's like you you have this idea, okay, let's do you know lending for NFTs, right? And now there's a thousand decisions you need to make over the next five years that all affect your chance of success what does a token model look like what does my team look like how which pro, which feature do we build first um, you know like what fees do we charge when do we start charging fees you know all of these things you need to decide over time uh, and in the beginning you like both the founder and the investor don't really know what the end state is going to look like because a, you, you're figuring it out as you go, and B, the market's changing the whole time, right? Because other people are doing stuff too. Uh, so, so the, really what like great VCs are good at is basically finding, Products that are useful in growing markets and backing founders that, um, you know, are good at figuring out what the right thing to do is with limited information at, in short time frames, right? So that's kind of where, um, how I would put that, you know, I, I think it's really difficult, uh, you know, uh, which is, I guess, why, you know, most investments VCs make fail and there's only a few that succeed um because it's just really difficult to to kind of predict that and even if you do there still might be some like random chance thing that means that this project doesn't succeed like not because anybody did anything wrong but just because of circumstance
2: yeah i I agree fully and that's also something which we stress that you know if you do a variety of uh, of deals and a variety of investments at some point in time you will fall in love with one single project and and that's when you want to go all in and you know the likelihood is still there that exactly the project which you love the most you know there's something which is out of control of anyone's hands and then it fails so you know it's i'm hard-pressed to to tell people to you know put a lot of money into one thing i think the 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 most sensible approach is to put into, put some money into a variety of things where you have strong uh, belief in that they will potentially succeed. But I think you have to be careful about getting overly bullish on one single thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and, and investors have that luxury, founders don't, right? Like you just have to like go all yeah, in on the thing. That yeah, that's true. You just don't have the, the capacity. So, so maybe the, the VCs are smarter than the, the, the founders, I don't know. Um, oh well i don't want to get deep weeds though (laughs) right
2: yeah Um, i mean you know obviously the 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 thing you know i've built businesses and businesses in the past too and it's true you're 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 not de-risking yourself right you're going all in into one thing but at least if you're in the position of being the ceo for example now at least the things that you can control or that you have control over now you can ensure that these go right and then if you yes. do it good enough, then even the factors which you cannot, or the variables which you cannot control, they will not be able to destroy what you're building.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. Like, I think everybody like building stuff in the in the crypto space is like a little bit crazy uh, and a little bit weird, which is kind of why I like <laughs> hanging out with them, so. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, very
2: <laughs> and, and Stephen, if you don't mind me asking uh, is nftfi the first crypto related project which you did which you are the ceo of or uh, what, what was your yes. history
1: yeah it's the first um, crypto project i'm ceo of um, before that i was chief product officer for an exchange that i co-founded um which then pivoted to being more like a b2b business and before that i was in asset management uh and i was building tech so I kind of basically did every role that there is to do in like the full software development lifecycle over the course of like 15-20 years um, so and I was an artist when I was younger so you know finance programming and an art kind of all came together with NFTs for me
2: all right thank you for the for the background I think it's you know it's always super interesting the different uh, personalities and um career paths that eventually lead to getting into the crypto space and then you know in your case being so successful with what you're building um and becoming the market leader in NFT lending. Mm. Um, Thank you. So- yeah.
1: Um, yeah it's been a it's been a wild ride I have to say.
2: <laughs> yeah, my my pleasure. I, I'm really glad that you, that we have the opportunity to talk to you, and I think the you know the wild ride. I, I think that comes with the space, right? I, I think there's yep. really nothing you can do which is not exhilarating and exciting. Yep. Um, maybe to um because I know you guys had a couple of updates uh, regarding um, the loan durations and potentially um, being able to take out bulk loans on a collection of yes. nfts um can you elaborate on, on on the improvements you've made uh since the last ama uh yeah so i mean so at the
1: we've been really focused around kind of token stuff so there's a lot of things kind of going on in the background that's not really visible visible to people uh, but what's coming soon is uh bundles uh, and bundles will take the form of erc nine nine eight. Uh, And ERC-998 is a standard that allows you to do, um, essentially, it's an NFT that owns other NFTs. Uh, So what you would do is you would take a bunch of other NFTs, um, mint a new NFT that owns all of them, and then take the loan out on those. Uh, so that's the, that's the, the bundle side. The other thing is loan renegotiations. So if you're coming up to the end of your loan period and you, and you see that you're not going to be able to make that loan, uh, then, uh, you could contact the borrow, the lender and like renegotiate terms. So either extend it or, or something like that, uh, which I think will be like quite useful for people. Uh, and then, um, there's like a bunch of like, you know, we wrapping everything in APIs that we're making available so people can build on top of us. Uh, you know, there's some cool new products that other people are building that are coming out soon that kind of settle on Niftify that, you know, I don't want to talk too much about because I don't want to steal their thunder. Um, but, you know, so that would kind of make it much easier to get loans quickly um, on Niftify. So yeah, there's lots of cool stuff coming, uh, but you're like 100% focused around the token launcher at the moment.
2: And uh, before we, t- we touch on the token launch, uh, one more question and this was answered by George uh, in writing, um, <coughs> but just to briefly um, uh, read it out loud so everyone can hear it. Um, what security measures are in place to ensure borrowers that their NFT assets are secure? Do you have insurance to cover loss of assets in case there's a hack?
1: yeah so we haven't had we haven't had insurance yet but like partly just because um you know like those insurance protocols didn't you know you know you need to be around for long enough uh, before they can actually do that but there's definitely something that we're looking into you know now that we've got uh, you know a longer track record of being um you know uh, up without any issues uh it, it'll be a little bit easier but at the moment no we don't have any insurance
2: all right Um, now regarding the token launch do you guys take into account the current dynamics do you think of uh, do you think about delaying the token launch potentially to not launch in a bear market and then how um, have you planned on facilitating your IDO?
1: yeah so you know so for us the token launch wasn't really about like selling a bunch of tokens and just like raising a bunch of cash. It was really be much more around, um, getting the right people to join the, the protocol to kind of, you know, be the uh, like good, uh, stewards for this going forward. And, and in a way, like maybe a bear market is a better time to launch because there's less people just going, you know, like number go up when, you know, when token, you know, like this pe- the people who are going to like kind of get involved now are going to be actual people who see the ut- utility. So, so we don't really have plans to delay the launch, but maybe we're not in quite as much of a hurry to kind of like get it out there just before everything imploded because everything's already imploded. Um, so, But yeah, we're not really too worried about that. You know, like I said in the beginning, we're really in this for the long run. You know, we want the people who who join us for the ride to also be in it for the long run. So, you know, uh, you know, these kind of bear markets are just part of building stuff in crypto. So, you know, um, we're not too stressed about it, to be honest.
2: Okay, so let let me ask slightly differently, and I don't want to put you on the spot. I'm just curious, uh, you know, about picking your brain. Um, How Do you go about, uh, how do you view um, launching the token and then potentially the token price falling below the price which you set out for your investors in the private round? Do you see that as a potential issue to disgruntle your investors or is this something uh, which you're not too concerned about?
1: Uh, It's not something we're too
2: concerned about. Like, so I don't really
1: think You know, if it's low, it's little. You know, like I don't think it'll be less than what we kind of sold to our investors. But even if it goes lower than that, it's it's just like temporary market conditions. And you know, like our investors really are, they kind of buy into the long term vision. I think here and see the the like the the long term potential. You know, like if you if you think about you know the current nft lending market is probably like 1.5 percent of the total nft market and um uh, if you look at traditional art and collectible market you kind of see like the the lending market is around about 20 percent of the total market in, in that in those kind of spaces and um so so we probably got you know 10 15 x like um, increase from where we are right now even if the nft market doesn't grow and you know i don't think anybody really believes that um the that the nft market is not going to grow so so really it's the bet that these vcs are kind of making is like are we the right team to kind of leverage the early like lead that we have to be able to keep building a great product for our end users, and at the same time make that into a protocol that other people can build on top of us. Uh, and you know, so if you know, uh, if I think that we're the right team and we're like re- working really hard about doing things in the right way, uh, so I don't really think uh, that our investors will really have a problem. You know, like they understand how these markets work.
2: Yeah, and that's a very good point. I think that's something which is important to realize as, you know, if you partake in a um, in a group, uh, if you partake in a, a community VC, uh, you know, as someone who's facilitating a lot of those investments, you have the responsibility of making sure that everyone, you know, ideally doesn't lose any money, right? But then on the other yes. hand, you have the temporary market swings where it's almost impossible, impossible to predict or to safeguard the token price, not dipping below the price at which you paid in the strategic or private round. And, wrong. and yes. you know, I think we have to, you know, during those times of the bear market, I think we have to be very um, to judge things too quickly, because at the end of the yes. day, we will never be able to pick the right point in time to make an investment. If yes. you, unless you start lettering in and out, you will always pick the the wrong time most of the time. And even if exactly. you letter in and out, I mean, it will be really difficult to outperform those who got in as early as the private round. So even with some temporary dips, um, I think you know the investment thesis of being early is probably the safest one in terms of de-risking the money you put in yourselves and then setting yourself up where the upside you can achieve once things pick up again is infinitely greater than anything else because if the market turns then it will be impossible to pick up any coins anywhere close the price of the private rounds so exactly and then you know like so if if you like i
1: said earlier we didn't really optimize our rounds to get the most like the highest possible valuation uh, and for two reasons one of them is you get better quality investors if you don't just try to get the most money out of them all the time uh, and secondly if you have a crazy high valuation now you have to live up to that right so um so you need to kind of you, it's a balancing act you need to have enough money so that you don't get outcompeted competed by your competitors but at the same time you don't want to have these like unrealistic expectations on token price
2: yeah, and I think the the past couple of weeks have brought down those uh, unrealistic valuations because now it has been increasingly yep. harder for everyone to raise money, and you know those valuations, if the market sustains its way this way, they they will come down, and I think that's when, yes. from the investors' perspective, that's probably when we'll be we'll be able to make the most attractive deals. Um, yes, exactly. So um, before we close out the AMA, um, I want to ask the community if, if there's any more questions that you guys want to ask, then please put them into our general chat and I will be sure to forward them. Um, otherwise, uh, a selfish selfish question for me and for the community would obviously be if uh, is there any way for us to squeeze out a couple more NFTFI tokens <laughs> for the community uh, is there any way to still get a hand on a soft agreement? Uh,
1: I think we are rounds close at the moment. Um, but we will be sure to let you guys know as soon as there's another opportunity. Uh, I, like this is one of the most interesting conversations I've had. Um, uh, you know, really good questions, really smart community. So really happy to have you guys, um, you know, like, have interest in us and to be here to talk to you guys.
2: My pleasure and thank you it was uh, an experience which i took away more than expected you know obviously i I know a lot of about nftfi uh, but getting insights into the you know your perspective from you know picking the right vc investors and how to treat them and so on that's something which is super important for us as well and a big learning thank you thank you very much um and hopefully see you guys around all right it seems like we are out of questions so uh, i think you guys are good to hop off (laughs) and once again thank you very much for joining Uh, we had super high attendance Uh, i think this is uh, close to outperforming uh, some of the uh, attendances we had in much bigger servers we had like consistently around 170 people listening uh, which is just exceptional that's like uh, almost 20 percent of the entire server Thank you very much. Thanks everybody
1: for showing up. Uh, but Like I said, great questions. It was a really fun chat.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you, Stephen. And you thank, you, thank you, George. And hopefully yeah, thank we you can both. talk again soon, guys. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye from Berlin. This recording
0: has been prepared by VVV. The recording is made available by VVV and is for information purposes only. This recording should not be considered as an offer or solicitation to sell, buy or subscribe to any financial instruments or product, securities or any other derivative instrument or any other rights pertaining thereto. VVV does not express any opinion as to the present or future value or price of any instruments referred to in this recording. The information provided in this recording is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published, but VVV along with its directors, officers or employees do not accept any liability for any loss arriving from the use of the information. The information contained therein, including any expressions of opinion, have been obtained from or is based on sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy or completeness is not guaranteed and is subject to change without notice. Any expressions of opinions reflect the views of the speakers and are not necessarily those of VVV and are subject to change without notice. Any decisions made by a party after listening to this recording shall be on the basis of its own research and not be influenced or based on any view expressed by VVV in this recording or otherwise. This recording does not address all risks. This recording does not institute investment advice or a recommendation that has been prepared without regard to individual financial circumstances, objectives or particular needs of listeners. Listeners should seek their own financial, tax, legal, regulatory and other advice regarding the appropriateness or otherwise of investing in any instruments and or pursuing any investment strategies.